Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the Interline Podcast. Um, and today I'm joined by three people from Armoire. Uh, I'm joined by Laura Butler, who is their Chief Technology Officer. I'm joined by Sonoba McCann, who is the Chief Operating and Merchandising Officer. And finally, by Shefali McDermott, who is Head of Operations at Armoire. And I think it's probably a good place to start to get into what Armoire is and how it works. So let's start by introducing the business. Anybody can take a run at this, so feel free to, to pick it up uh, from your side, folks. How would you describe Armoire's business model and how would you describe its target demographic? You know, who is Armoire for and what is it about? And if you can also capture a little bit about the journey the company's been on recently, that would be great. Okay, well, I'm the baby. I'm the newest member, so I'll kick it off and then Shafali and Sonova, please like make this better. Um, well, we have to talk about our CEO, who is a force of nature, Ambika Singh. And she created Armoire to help women reclaim time. She was a busy consultant, you know, woman going places and just didn't have time to deal with finding clothes, deciding what to wear, laundering, and all of that. And, you know, there's a ton of demands on the time and attention of women in modern society. And we also we want to show up strong, look great, feel good. Uh, that takes a lot of effort. And we have multiple roles to play, right? We have career, we have family, we have community. And you think of clothing as our armor, right? It's not just fashionista stuff. Armoire, the name was chosen very deliberately. So that's kind of my take on it. I actually think we're selling confidence to women, but that's a side topic. Shafali, you've been with Armoire since the beginning. How would What would you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, armoire. It, we're, we're definitely geared to towards that uh, uh, woman who is looking for a service to help them get dressed um, in the most efficient way possible, and just to make them look good and feel confident. Um, I think, you know, yeah, I, we're, we're selling confidence and and compliments, um, and I think those go a long way. Perfect. Um, Sonobra, is there anything you wanted to add to that one? You were kind of nodding in the background there. Yeah, I think they did a great job capturing that. <clears throat> they are, uh, you know, women come to us because they are uh, wanting to get out of tasks like laundry. They, they don't have the time to do that. They want uh, to outsource that. And we provide that service in a way. So. Okay, perfect. Um, and could each of you, I might as well come to you, Sonora, because we're just, we're talking there. Could you give me a short overview of your own sort of history inside and outside fashion? And tell me a bit about what your day-to-day -day at Armoire looks like right now. Sure. Uh, history with fashion, very little. I um, was at Amazon for a little bit where I ran the outdoor apparel and sporting business. And so I guess you can say, uh, technical but stylish garments for uh, a lot of the outdoor activities. Uh, and so I guess that's my little uh, foray into fashion. Uh, in, in general, I think like my experience, my background has been this intersection of operations, strategy and product. And so um, in terms of where I started, I started in consulting, um, did a lot of uh, your product innovation as well as like strategy work and then uh, moved to Groupon uh, when it was a three-year-old company. And from there, Amazon was sort of where um, I landed, where uh, I was running multiple retail categories as well as their uh, product planning for Amazon logistics business. And so 
I guess for all of that, I landed at Amor and uh, here I head up a lot of the merchandising uh, work. And so the day-to-day at Armor, we're in growth mode and the focus is scale. We are trying to create repeatable processes so that we can um, uh, you know, approach uh, this growing business. In terms of sort of how we are doing that, we're trying to use our data. We have a lot of data. And so we're trying to make better buying decisions early so that we can cater to this ever-growing customer base. Um, I like to think of like in fashion, and we've all sort of experienced this, it's um, the most challenging sort of variable is understanding the customer demand and planning for that. Um, historically, the and even now, like the long lead times is what sort of bogs down the industry, in my opinion. And so um, for us, it's really about understanding the customer demand um, and uh, listening to our customers. We want them to tell us what they want, and we want to be agile enough to react to those needs in season when sourcing our uh, inventory to meet those needs. Okay, perfect. Um, Laura, same question to you. I know your your experience is, is, is firmly on the tech side. You mentioned you're the you're the baby of the company. Um, tell me a bit about where you came from and what you're working on right now. And to be clear, I'm the baby of the comp- of the leadership in terms of tenure, but I think I'm like the grandmother when it comes to age. Um, I've been at Armour four months, not quite. Yeah, four months and four and a half, and like it's been crazy. Like when they t- I think you'd asked earlier about what journey we've been on. We've literally been trying to keep up. Shafali can talk more about that, just like constraints of physical space. Um, so my background, uh, yeah, zero. I have a hate his- history with fashion. I'm a nerd. I'm a Star Trek or Trekkie type person. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this in European terms. I'm 1.524 meters tall and seven stone. Okay. So the yep, fashion industry <laughs> does not really make stuff for me. Although I will say one of the beauties of working at Armoire is I get to instead of my normal North Pacific Northwest athleisure, you know, my dress fleece, get to put on lovely garments like this Nora Gardner blue dress that Sonober uh, and team bought. Um, my background is like, I'm kind of a professional misfit. I dropped out of Harvard to join Microsoft as a programmer. Most of the things I worked on were actually were hardware meets software. So Windows, mm-hmm. Windows Phone. If you ever used a Lumia 1020 or 1520, that was me. Um, and my team. Uh, I, I didn't. Of, I know. I knew some people who had Windows phones. No, and they were. I was not those one were of the them. devices you could actually be proud of. It was a heartbreak. <laughs> Story of another time. I didn't know that that would be relevant to armoire, but if you think about, hey, where where technology meets physical things, there's actually some parallels. Um, I my day to day. For a scale up, I wish there was a routine day to day. It's pretty much scrambling around support, letting down Shafali and Sonover at a rate they can hopefully tolerate, you know, making sure bottlenecks get um, handled. So there's quite a bit of reactivity when you're growing fast, right? Customers have questions and so on. And then trying to balance that with proactive work, you know, both to make the tech team more efficient, but also to help Sonover and Shafali scale. And then the other part of the customer base, of course, are the subscribers, right? Like just continually trying to improve like mobile. What do they want? What do they need? And how do we evolve it in place? And change is disruptive to everyone, right? Even if you make something better, someone had a habit and now you've moved their cheese. 
So sorting through all of that. So really just a bunch of like origami space-time bending. No big deal. <laughs> that's <laughs> a good answer. I think, I, that I think Shibali, right? Shibali has a tougher job. Sorry. No, no worries. We'll get to you in a section. And I think we're going to come back in, in a pretty big way to how tech is in service of both of those audiences you just talked about, the in-house and the downstream consumer as well. Um, Shafali, I don't want to steal your thunder. So um, tell us a bit about your your journey inside and outside fashion and what your day-to-day looks like. Sure. Um, I mean, I think maybe a constant theme here is, you know, I, I also have no fashion really history here. Um, I, I came from Originally working at PricewaterhouseCoopers in their tax department, um, trying to you know bring goods in, into the U.S. Um, appropriately. Uh, I then moved, um, I suppose, kind of fashion uh, to a textile company, bringing in uh, goods to the U.S. and Canada, um, and, and it ended up being very boring. And I was looking ready for a change, and I ended up uh, uh, switching careers completely and uh, being an assistant to a CEO at a tech company over here in Seattle. Um, I did that for about eight years and along the way befriended our CEO, uh, Mbika, many, many years ago. Um, And she came uh, out of MIT with this crazy armoire idea and came home and was like, hey, you're my most organized friend. How would you like to run the operations here? And I was like, (laughs) let's do it. And so we started out of our friend's apartment um, in Capitol Hill in Seattle, uh, and then grew out of that apartment, moved to a co-working space, grew out of the co-working space and moved into a lovely space where we're at today in Pioneer Square, where we're busting out of the seams. Um, So uh, yeah, it's it's been a journey over the last almost seven years now. And uh, it's, it's been a crazy to to witness all the changes from the beginning so uh, yeah okay oh no that's awesome um let's get into the weeds a little bit then so um there's a question i think for sonobra and laura really and i want to talk to you a little bit about the kind of walking the economic tightrope of making a business like this work because Elsewhere in fashion, with a, with a more traditional kind of model, you can um, you can get around some of the negative impacts of inaccurate planning by dealing in huge volumes and amortizing some of that stuff in at scale. Um, your model is a lot more of an encapsulation of why modern merchandising needs to become more of a data science and modeling exercise instead of something that starts with guesswork and is then has all the rough edges averaged out and send it off uh, through scale. Is that a fair statement? Do you, do you feel that way about merchandising? Yes, absolutely. I think like uh, in, in traditional fashion companies, uh, you have tastemakers who are trying to predict trends in um uh, in our, at Armour, our merchandising team is not made of tastemakers. We don't uh, necessarily try to predict uh, what trends will take off six plus months from now. We spend a lot more time analyzing uh, rental history, looking at listening to our customers, uh, getting their signal in terms of what is it that they like, what is it that they're looking for, what do, what are their like jobs that they need to be uh, to get done and how do they want to dress and feel and so we understand those trends and then make decisions uh, based on that um we have you know tools and laura will touch on that as well we have uh, tools that help us uh or give us that signal 
uh, we crowdsource from our customer base uh, styles that they may like, uh, styles they don't like, and we learn from that as well. We have review data. We look at uh, we look at that to understand, um, you know, fit, style, uh, pre- size preferences, and then we use that information to make additional predictions of what is it that we want to uh, buy. Perfect. Thank you, uh, Laura. Anything you want to add there from the point of view of merchandising being as much of a data science as it is an art? Um, I have one thing, and then I'd actually like to bounce past to Shafali because part of the economics of this business is the like inventory, like like returns processing and shipping, right? Because we've got to get things to people. Um, on yeah, I mean supporting Sonobar and Shafali is part of it. The one maybe unique thing is because, well, we're a rental business, right? We get to monetize our assets more than once, but also because we have the digital experience, we can surface things that we want people to get. Like, let's say we have some items that people just aren't finding. We can we can sell them. We can put that in people's face. I mean, it has to be trustworthy, but we have some tools to help manage the inventory that we have through the digital product experience as well. But when it really comes to the other part of the business and costs, economic tightrope, Shafali is the, the champ. Is it okay to hand to her? By all means, yeah, Shafali, this is your area of expertise, go. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, considering like the, the, the rental space is a relatively new space in the last 10 years, like there really aren't any um, kind of off the shelf products. And so that, that somebody could just start this and, uh, and start their own rental company. Um, I, uh, it's been, uh, you know, kind of a handshake between the ops team and the tech team to really work together to develop our uh uh, soft tools that we use in the warehouse. Um, we've we just have a, a customized internal uh, tracking system to understand where our garments are at any given point. Um, we utilize RFIDs uh, in a hundred percent of our garments, and um, that's been a, a, a huge change for us. A hundred percent of our garments have RFIDs about uh, as of about a year and a half ago. And since then, we've been able to, once the product comes back to us, be able to move our inventory close to six times faster than we were before um, to be able to get those items back into inventory as soon as possible um, so that it's available for the member. Um, and it's the, the RFIDs have really been a, a huge game changer for us. And we haven't yet um, capitalized on a hundred percent of I think the 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 capacity that we have there um, and we're we're still working on that it's a that that's part of what I do on a daily basis is try to figure out how do we maximize um, the the capacity that we have now that we've um, uh, we have RFIDs in all of our garments mm-hmm. and how do we use that to our advantage okay perfect and I think we might we might kind of revisit the hardware side of things a little later on as well. But I think what's interesting with, from distinction between a rental business and a traditional kind of brand or retailer is that you're not selling the same idea of kind of the endless aisle, right? That's that the you know the original founding principle behind e-commerce is that you can offer a tremendous amount of variety, and the the issue is one of discoverability and curation rather than anything else. But you are still moving a lot of product. You've just established that you know the hardware is uh, is is a key part of that. 
I think the thing to zero in on for me is that you're not just moving it the traditional way, like from you to the consumer. Um, you're bringing it back in as well. You know, that's it, you have reverse logistics with multiple stops along the way. What does it look like to manage that side of thing from an operations perspective? Because that's a very key distinction between the type of business that you have and a more traditional retailer. Right, exactly. So, you know, uh, just about 100% of the packages that we ship out come back to us by design. And we want that stuff back so that we can get it back into circulation as quickly as possible for the next member. So we can maximize the, the total inventory that we have at any given point. Um, and, you know, uh, I guess thankfully, since, you know, since none of us come from a traditional retail uh, background, um, I, we didn't, I didn't know any different. And, you know, <laughs> uh, all of the packages are coming back to us. So we're just processing them um, accordingly. And we do have a couple of uh, very large cleaning partners in Seattle that um, we've partnered with um, to help us with the cleaning process. But um, uh, essentially, the, the garments come back to us. Uh, we give them to our uh, cleaning partners. And when it comes back from cleaning, it goes through a quality control process before it goes back again into our inventory. So, uh, you know, part of our job is to to make that turnaround time as quickly as possible while ensuring our garments are of quality to go back into inventory. Um, but, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely it's it's not just stuff going out the door. It's also managing all the stuff coming back in the door, um, is part of the uh, the challenge there. Yeah, and, and that's, detachable that's belts. Oh, sorry, detachable oh, belts God. are the bane of our entire existence. Sorry, I know. Yeah, the, <laughs> uh, with the the uh, the dreaded belt rack, um, accessory rack, uh, trying you know, and trying to ensure that all the pieces go back together uh, at the end before going back into inventory is uh, is a challenge. I mean, yeah. I mean, do you do you actually do you tag individual kind of trims and components and pieces there, or is it done at the garment level? That is that's that's something I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. yeah, everything is individual skewed. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's, there's, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. We, we do tag every little detail about the garment so that it's easy for uh, the operations team to identify the pieces to make sure that when it comes back, it comes back with those pieces on uh, so that the next customer has uh that understanding as well and knows that that piece is going to include those items and so we, we want to maintain that that flow um i i just wanted to touch on like the other uh, aspect that was mentioned here in terms of like that that balance uh, the other handshake that happens is between the day-to-day -day operations team and merchandising in the same sort of uh vein around uh uh, this idea of how long is this item going to be in rotation, right? Like mm -hmm. that's another data point that we really look at to say, um, uh, to, re to understand uh, sort of the depth of how much to buy and uh, in the nuances around uh, uh, is this a staple item that may stay in rotation longer versus a statement piece or a event based item that might come back to us much faster. And so uh, keeping those uh, things in mind and using that those data points um, and connecting it back to what the customer's need is, again, impacts our uh, ability to sort of uh, make the prediction around buying. For sure. And I think 
it's a good time to talk about data points in general because we we hinted a bit and we you know we talked about merchandising and buying and the the data modeling side of that you're presumably capturing a lot of data points beyond that you know across kind of customer reviews returns trends and everything else um and Data is always kind of a problem and an opportunity, right? It's a problem in terms of managing its sheer scale and what you do with it. And it's an opportunity in terms of what it allows you to do to personalize customer experiences and things like that. Laura, I think this may be more of a question for you from the tech side, but feel free to jump in. Um, Tell me a bit about how you're making use of all those data points to really kind of surface insights for both Armoire's in-house team and for end users. Okay. So what's tough is the techie, like I have no poker face. So I like a James Bond villain want to overshare. So I'll try not to give away any of our total secret sauce. Um, I will say that literally my the first impression I had when I joined the company was I have never seen such sophisticated data infrastructure tooling. Um, we were like super cheap on things like on-call software, you know, for when, let's say there's a service issue, like we were on a cheap, we were on a free plan for that, but we had like incredibly fancy data tools like Looker and Segment and stuff like that, which already told me right away how important data was to the company. Um, We have crazy amounts of data. We had to upgrade to a data warehouse. I don't think from a like just standard kind of data, database tables, a company, I don't know any other startup our size that probably has that. So that's kind of scary. The flip side, I would say, is compared to the 2 billion Windows devices, uh, and I ran the Windows 10 Insider program, it's um, still small. As always, I think trying to get meaning out of data is the hard part. I mean, one thing that might be interesting to your readers, we do have something we call positive signal. And I won't go into too much detail, but it's a pretty strong signal from our customers that they like an item and want to rent it. And that goes directly like on the red phone. Okay, I'm dating myself here. Let's say I told you I was not, I was the babe, not the baby in age uh, to Sonoper and team. And then they have to be smart about, wow, this thing's in demand. Should we buy more of it? But, oh, wait, it's ugly holiday sweaters and it's December 24th, right? Um, I think that's tough. There's a lot more to be done. I think fragility of garments, you know, there's some things that people would love absolutely to rent. makes no sense for them to buy a, mm-hmm. most people, unless you're like Rihanna or Beyonce or, you know, like Princess Kate to go buy an incredibly gorgeous, bespoke, you know, fragile gown, right? But those things don't wear very well. So, I mean, there's a, a lot to be done there. Um, you know, it really, it's really all around the customer experience is at the center of it. There's a lot of data we try to use on process improvements, like Shafali tracks how long it takes, you know, to do quality control of a garment, how long it takes for something coming back to being back in inventory. Mm-hmm. And costs are a part of it, but it really gets back to the customer experience. Like, hey, if we get this thing back into inventory, someone else who loves it can get it. Right. Um, so, so, I mean, it, I think we're debugging data in the same way that we're debugging code. Everybody is. And yet we always have tons of data and we never know the answer to a question easily, usually. So then there's, okay, what are we, what are we trying to do with this data? What insights do we need? Um, for it's, personalized, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, <laughs> I was going to say, it's all, it's, all, it's all very interesting to me because I spend a lot of time talking to brands who have a much more traditional model and one that is 
has an absence of data for the most part. You have you'll you'll find that most fashion brands have the opposite problem to what you have, um, and that's. To me, I feel that like there's somewhere in the middle where these two models can really start to benefit one another and share best practices and things like that, because you have a, a surfeit of information and your challenge is making sure that that's deployed in service of the right thing. If you're a more traditional brand, you're you're hurting for that. You're used to having a, a kind of unidirectional channel to the consumer, and you're used to having just that one transactional opportunity, that one logistics model, that one merchandise plan, that one forecast. Yours has that circularity is perhaps the wrong word, but yours has that element of repetition to it. And it has that element of all of that reverse logistics. So to me, it's a very interesting data challenge. I'm sure it feels like insurmountable to you folks sometimes, but um, to me, it's it's fascinating because it's the opposite problem to what a lot of the industry has. That That's interesting to know. I mean, we're also very real time. I mean, we obsess over every single like in a real time, in real time feeds, like customer feedback, customer support questions, and so on, um, because it makes all the difference in the world on you know keeping our subscribers with us and getting them the things that they want. Personalization is a tough one, and maybe you know, obviously AI is a big topic. We can get to that later. We're always trying to recommend things that we think will be good for the customer. You know, there's seasonality, there's fit, there's their style. So we're always tuning. Um, what we surface at the top level, but we also don't always know exactly what's in someone's head. So mm -hmm. we don't want to be like over tastemakers either. So we're always using data on that front. I would say debugging personalization is really tough. You know, mm -hmm. the more global you have of a thing, the easier it is to repro. <laughs> you know, so like if you, Ben, were a customer of ours and you, you told us, hey, it's only showing me like black t-shirts. Like, why? You know, we might have a little bit of a difficulty in, in you know, figuring that out. Um, no, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think the other element to this, um, and I think this is probably a question for you, Sonobra, is that Armour's different plans are, um, they're kind of pitched at different ideas. They're either kind of enhancing or replacing an existing wardrobe. And I guess that's a different prospect because... You're building assortments that have to cover a lot of potential bases, right? You're building things that have to cover, there's, there's, there's an amount of seasonality to it. There's the occasion aspect that we talked about before. There's brand diversity, there's, every, there's everything else, but you're doing that at the same time as delivering that personalization that Laura's talking about, which is what people expect from a styling service. You're being proactive about saying, hey, this is something that that you we believe you want because we've seen that strong positive signal from before. How do you approach blending that kind of thing where you're saying we're trying to cover all these possible bases, but we're also trying to get to those granular kind of personalized recommendations? And how do some of the data in the systems we've talked about support that? Yeah, um, it's, I guess to start off, it's not perfect, but we uh, definitely review a lot of uh, these uh, data points. We have quarterly plans that we build out based on that. And uh, a lot of like, and I guess the way we think about it is from how many, uh, like the variety and the number of items that we want to present to a customer, as well as like the diversity um, of choice. And so we have targets that we've established in terms of what that means for a customer that's coming um, on the site. Uh, you mentioned like the wardrobe enhancer versus uh, I think like the, what we call it is like the lifestyle renter. And uh I, I like to use myself as an example here. I was an Amor customer for um, 
three years almost before I became an employee. And so I started out as like that wardrobe enhancer, looking for stuff that's mostly for an event or maybe for some big work meeting and uh, slowly started, it started becoming more of like my lifestyle. And so the thing, the uh, what I started doing was picking items that were more staple core to like sort of my everyday need. And uh, I think that that data insight is really valuable for us in terms of understanding what are the types of products that uh, these different types of customers are renting. And that feeds into sort of our um, targets of what type of variety and uh, style choices do we we want to surface to our customers. and one of the things that we've started like really uh, um, uh, using as like our motto and our like religious belief is that we want to meet our customers for her like everyday calendar appointment needs. Uh, we want to be uh, the wardrobe choice where she comes in and she's able to find whatever she's wanting to dress for. And so keeping that in mind, uh, we're thinking about the brands, we're thinking about the categories and the occasions that we want to um, carry product for. And uh, in knowing that uh, sort of, you know, it's different from the traditional retailer uh, model where a customer walks in and the retailer is really looking to sell that one item. What we're really trying to do is be that wardrobe for this customer. And so every time she comes in, our goal is that we better have that assortment available for her, like in her closet. This is her everyday closet. And do we have um, product in stock to meet those needs that we think she has? Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's a really... That's a great set of insights, I think, into the complexities of starting to merchandise on that basis. Um, Shavali, we talked a bit about RFID before. Um, I don't. We don't need to kind of relitigate that whole conversation. But I think I think we we you kind of you talked about some of the challenges there with the, the sort of item level tracking. Um, I wondered if you wanted to look back to that and if there's anything in terms of the kind of opportunities that that unlocks as well, having that item level, that skew level visibility, because. Again, for a lot of other brands, this is something that they're approaching from the perspective of traditional retail, right? They're approaching it from the perspective of what does my inventory look like? What does my channel allocation look like? How can I monitor uh, a garment's kind of uh, journey around the store and use it for dwell times and to track shrinkage and things like that? There's a whole different set of opportunities in the kind of bi-directional engagement that you folks have with your customers. Is there anything on the RFID side and the tracking side there that you, you think we haven't touched on that is more of an opportunity than a challenge? Well, um, I think the, the RFIDs, you know, they're, they're really most utilized in house trying to get things from one end of the warehouse to the other in the most efficient way possible. But once they're out of the warehouse, it's kind of like, we can now only have our data uh, to rely on to understand, you know, when things are coming back to us, we have a good idea of how many packages people order on a on a monthly basis and how long people typically hold on to things um, before their intention of holding or returning it back to us. And so we have, um, you know, as far as like engagement with the customer, um, we have a, a good idea on 
you know, maybe this customer has held on to something for so long that they might have the intention to actually buy the item. So mm-hmm. we will take that opportunity to offer that as an option. Um, and if not, it's also a reminder, hey, remember you can exchange your stuff. You don't have to hold on to it forever. Here's your opportunity to either buy the item or uh, get a fresh mm-hmm. uh, uh, wardrobe. So um, I think uh, we're we're lucky that we've been, you know, kind of a, a, around this for so long that we have that, uh, you know, incredible amount of data to understand uh, the when it's out of our hands, when we have an idea, when it's going to come back to us. Um, mm-hmm. And then once it's back to us, we have that tech tooling to be able to understand where things are at when it's in our hands at any given time and have that opportunity to take uh uh, you know, improvement practices to shrink that amount of time mm. between each stage. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, shifting gears slightly. Um, so no, but tell me a little bit about how you approach discovery and integration of new brands and new designers. Um, so I'm keen to get your perspective on what it means to keep expanding this kind of catalog. Um, and so from that perspective, that kind of discovery and, uh, and promotion, but also, you know, is there any kind of standardized data format? Do you have a set of what you request from from brands and designers to help make all of this onboarding feasible? Yeah. Um, so brands is interesting because there are, you know, the known brands that have some authority in the fashion space that we definitely want to try and partner with um, and bring uh, that inventory on. In uh, and then there is like the discovery of new and upcoming brands that our customers might not necessarily be aware of. And uh, what we've seen is that those uh, designers and brands want to use our platform as a marketing platform. They want to reach new audiences. And so we are positioning ourselves uh, in that way for those brands as well. Um, in I, in general, what we've learned is that our customer um, and in customers are uh, less they, they have some brands that they might be loyal to but then in general they are more inclined to trying out new brands um, they're less brand aware they want uh, and maybe less brand agnostic I guess and then uh, are more brand agnostic and they want um, to find uh, things that fit their need. And so the way I think about it is we are a platform that brings together the variety from all of the different brands onto the site, right? And so if you're looking for this red jumpsuit and that this popular brand has, you know, it's been trending with this popular brand, but it's not available, we have a similar red jumpsuit maybe from another brand and the customer mm-hmm. is willing to try that and the technology around, uh, you know, uh, proposing or recommending similar styles to our customer is there so that we can, you know, meet that need as well. Um, I think you have this uh, sort of question around um, what are some like in- information and things that we ask our brands. Uh, there's a few different things, right? Uh, one one thing, given that we are a curated experience for our customer, uh, where we don't, um, we try not to show uh, and recommend an item that might not be in inventory for that in that person's mm-hmm. size. We are more open to working with our brand partners on uh, broken size runs. 
So if they are sitting on a certain size uh, of inventory, we're more open to having that discussion. And so we are, uh, we're generally trying to, you know, understand that landscape as well. Um, we definitely want to understand fabrics. And so mm -hmm. we do require certain guarantees around uh, wash and wear. And uh, we work with them to make sure that, you know, those situations where something uh, doesn't last more than one uh, wash doesn't occur. And so we definitely pay attention to sort of the fabrics that we're, um, we're buying. Um, yeah, and then in, it, it's it, it's a partnership. Like we want to get uh, you know work together to to showcase their product in the best way possible. And so partnering and collaborating on digital assets, on um, sort of imagery and lifestyle uh, images to make sure that we are representing that brand in the best mm -hmm. way onto our site is also important. And it goes from both sides, right? Whether that's an, a known authoritative brand versus some something that's like someone that's like new on our site um one customer data point that we uh we value and our customers have indicated is that for them brand discovery and like having that variety in brands is important and so we try to make sure that we are providing that experience in even in the the number of brands that we showcase then we focus on women owned uh up and coming like sort of minority groups uh, all of that and we try to provide a holistic uh, brand uh, uh, picture for our customers. Perfect. And just your kind of uh, your example of the, the red jumpsuit, for example. So I get I, this is a question, I think, for Laura, but anybody can feel free to tackle this. Um, what happens when a customer starts to request an item or in a color or a size that they don't currently hold? Um, do you have kind of automated processes, thresholds and things that trigger that kind of procurement or reallocation of inventory? Obviously you're sensing, you're sensing that demand, but then what happens afterwards? Yeah, so Sonobra's team, you're, you're getting at kind of rebuys or depth. Mm -hmm. um, before that, I should say that by default, we do not show you, we know your sizes, we do not show you things by default that are not available in your size mm -hmm. at the moment and um, or ever if you could never get it because that serves no purpose. Although there's a little bit of tension with brand discovery, right, on that front, because maybe we would want to get it or maybe the brand would want to know. But um, so I think that that helps um, quite a bit. Um, Similar, similar items, which Sonobra talked about, is another mechanism mm -hmm. like, hey, we don't have this, but we have that. Um, one thing that we should have mentioned and I should have mentioned earlier, we actually have integrated into the product. We have these style games and be the buyer. So mm -hmm. every new thing that Sonobra's team is thinking about getting, so you know like the Xiaomi phone model where people would kind of upvote, we'll actually put it in front of our current customers and see how, if they like it or not. And that also helps Sonobra to get ahead of like, oh, wow, there's a lot of demand for this thing. We mm -hmm. also look at search terms, which gives us sort of signal on things that might be trending or not. Yeah. And then there's I mean, another style games that helps us just kind of reassess what it is that you like at the moment. I mean, that that kind of what you would, in a traditional brand would be like pre-market testing. Um, that kind of thing is a very interesting perspective because you have 
effectively a captive audience. I don't mean that in a negative way. You have a very engaged audience who are, um, they're, you know, they're, they are in the ecosystem and they're willing to provide you with that sort of insight into what it is that the market actually wants. That's something that's a lot harder to build as a traditional brand or retail where you just have, you make product, you push it out, you hope people are going to buy it. Um, that's a very interesting prospect. And I think it's something a lot of other organizations wish they could do more of. Yeah. And then on the sizing front, you know, and this comes up in AI and all kinds of ML models as well. Like I'm going to call it the collaborative filter problem, which is we know the sizes of our customers, current customers, and we have some idea about how they like their clothes to fit. And there's not, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a global and one time statement. So we optimize for that. But then the customers we don't have, right? is always a question and women in particular go through phases of their bodies, you know, if they become parents or they get older. So trying, I mean, Sonobra's team, there's art to this as well as science on trying to, okay, hey, we would like, I'm a short person. We don't carry a lot of things for short people. Or if we do, mm -hmm. designers don't think about it, like maxi dresses. Yep. And, and so also just trying to be smart on, um, length and, and anyway, and alternatives. Helps. Yeah, yeah. You, no, I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you feed any of that kind of data back to the brands that you work with? I know you mentioned before, Sonova, it's it's a partnership. Um, so um, I'm keen to see what that looks like. Well, Sonova has all kinds of grand plans. Actually, we didn't talk about that. Like to the degree that we're giving value back to the brands, right? Our mm -hmm. ability to ask for them to do things goes up, right? Sonova. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we share some data, but yes, we uh, the the grand vision is that we do become more of this like B two B platform here that then is positioned um, for the brands to learn from the analytics mm -hmm. as well as it ties back to a little bit more of the sustainability aspect where before they may cut fabric, they get an understanding of like this you know, known crystal ball issue in fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I think, yeah, it is a balance right now. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, there's more work to be done in this mm -hmm. space, for sure. Um, I just wanted to add in terms of like the, uh, you know, at the core of all of our, of all of our buys, like it sort of goes back to this idea of like, we want the customers to tell us, right? Like, what is it that they want? Um, and so these style games, the search terms, all of that feeds that. And then um, in, in general, like customers will also identify like, you know, the word of like the word of mouth, like they'll tell us like, oh, this is a brand that they've maybe discovered and they'll come back to us and let us know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so then we'll go, go back and go after those brands as well. Um, so just want to go no, no, that's really cool. And you mentioned um, sustainability, circularity. That's just zero in a bit on that. Um, you know, I don't think there's any secret that overproduction, disposable fashion are kind of two of the industry's biggest issues. Um, and I'm keen to get your collective take on what the rental model means for that circularity and sustainability journey, because... In a sense, Armour is a bit of a proof point for the value of keeping products in circulation because you can start to model and predict not just one instance of demand, but ongoing demand, which is also something that is secondary marketplaces are doing and also that brands are going to want to do as they start to want to own more of that secondary channel as well. So just a, a couple a of couple words from, from your side on 
how you look at this from sustainability and circularity and what you think that's going to look like going forward? Um, I guess uh, if we're, we're always doing, we're, or we've been doing a lot of different things in the space. We have um, uh, partners that we, uh, or recycle partners that, you know, where we send our garments to get recycled. And I think Shafali can touch a little bit more about that. Um, we have, uh, we partner with Dress for Success so that the garments can be uh, further used. We also have uh, what we call the well-loved sale for uh, products that um, may have, uh, you know, are getting close to like sort of their end of life and, um, and you know, we'll, we'll make it available for a customer to buy. And so uh, we do a few different things to ensure that the garment ends up in um, uh, or is like has its most use, has gotten the most use out of it before, it, uh, you know, it, before we call it like, uh, let's move it into recycle. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, is there anything else, Shafali, Laura, you want to add? Oh, I think Shafali is like the numbers. I don't know, <laughs> person, please. Yeah, um, well, I mean, we we do have a, a, a very talented um, alterations person who sits on staff and um, she will often uh, upcycle a number of, of our garments, um, and we either put them back into rotation of our inventory to for rent again, or alternatively put them up for sale um, in our Armoire Go store. Um, but uh, I mean, I think one of the coolest things that we do, I mean, Sonobra on the on the merchandising side is that we do uh, take broken size runs, and we do take um, uh, you know uh, buys that. Uh, potentially could go straight to the landfill because they weren't able to sell everything. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're, we're very flexible on what we're able to intake um, because we have a, a great idea on what is going to go out the door. Um, and uh, the, the average life cycle of our garments is 18 turns. So it will go out to at minimum 18 members. Uh, every single garment will go out 18 times and everything that we have on the floor turns at once a month so mm. everything is going out constantly and is always in circulation so we have very little quote-unquote waste that is like sitting in our warehouse um because everything is just moving all the time that's, that's a great insight i hadn't actually really thought about um the you know the rental market having an intake from effectively kind of unsold products or broken size runs or some of the stuff that would otherwise get thrown away um because something that somebody might buy or what an audience might buy might not necessarily be the same as something that they might rent or you might have that exposure to a, a completely new market that's an angle i hadn't considered so that's really useful um generally speaking like at the interline, we always wrestle with where technology begins and fashion ends and vice versa. Um, and Laura, I guess this is a question for you. We are kind of coming to the end here with your technology background is um, Armour is a digital business, right? So from the point of view of the end user who interacts with the front end, it is it is a website slash app where um, people are um they're choosing what they're choosing what they want. It's also a deeply physical business behind the scenes, you know. So for every case of items that arrives on somebody's doorstep, there's all this technology and data and process engineering we've already talked about. How do you see 
kind of fashion in general and armor specifically bridging those two worlds, you know, between being digital businesses in the front end and having this hugely complex physical kind of array of physical processes in the back end? Um, well, really what you're saying is we're a business, a real business. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. And every real business is, needs to have technology and, and, no psychology and create value um, and solve pain points for people. And I know when I worked at Microsoft, Satya Nadella would always talk about like, you know, digital transformation and kind of the cogs of the world, right? I think about it a little bit like the metaverse, who cares? It's the verse. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a presence here. It's augmented by technology. I have a presence online. The point of it is the real world. So I always kind of go back to just something I've always thought about. And the whole point of technology is life, right? It's to make more of and better use of the most scarce resources we have, which are freedom, quality of life, time, and joy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, working from our, am I allowed to say we're hiring? Um, our bars, it's, it really you is are, wonderful. Yeah, you yeah, are. There okay. might, be, might be people <laughs> listening to this who could be the intake for that. So yes, just, feel just, free. Just feel like, like, like hit us up after. Um, and armoire really meets that is that front and center, right? We're not taxing value. We're not shifting dollar flow. We're creating value. We are saving people time, giving them joy, helping the environment, um, letting people actually like the creators, the people who make clothes, potentially make a better living from it. I mean, so you know the the actually way more than I do, like the numbers about wholesale. If you're a small and budding designer um, of clothing, like you can't make a living. Right. We have a platform well, you where you can't, might be able to. You can't get in the door to begin with. Like it's well, it's, it's less a question. It's less a question of making a living. It's a question of can you make minimums? Can you uh can, you know, can you demonstrate that you're you're able to sell tens of thousands of pieces, that kind of stuff. It is a very for all fashion's efforts to become more inclusive, it is still a closed system or a relatively closed system from that point of view. Right. So I, and Sonobra also talked a little bit about, um, I would call it waterfall versus agile. The retail, you know, fashion industry is very waterfall. You make big decisions, big bets early mm-hmm. instead of being able to agile, be agile about it. We have a platform where like that's a lot more viable economically and so on. You could find out, oh, that zipper breaks a lot before you go spend a fortune, like usability testing. So anyway, so all of that is like, I just, mission and purpose is just front and center and it really anchors everything like we're not making tech because it's cool and it's fun which it is right we're solving real problems and i especially after covid i just feel so protective of human interaction like real human interaction and guess what you need to wear clothes unless you are a german naturist (laughs) Which does not mean you like birds. I, I found that out, mm-hmm. right? right? Like, like it's part of you showing up and also mm-hmm. accomplishing things, you know, the function as well as the form. Um, so it doesn't feel like it's bridging two worlds. It feels like it's a integrated single world. That's a really good perspective. And I think, again, that's something that the fashion industry as a whole has struggled with for a while because you have an industry that's been set up a particular way for centuries that is now trying to integrate more digital components into itself. Um, And I think shifting from seeing them as separate parts to seeing them as one kind of interwoven whole is a very good mindset shift and one the industry should probably move towards. Um, I think we can't really finish up without 
um, talking about the elephant in the room you mentioned before, generative AI, right? So um, you're you know you're a business that offers personal styling. You, if I understand correctly, blend kind of real human styling with algorithmic recommendations. Um, it's a delicate balance right now, and I guess it's a, it's a balance that maybe will shift in the future when we see bigger changes to the way that search works, product discovery, and so on. What's your collective take on where on the role that AI might or might not play in the future of what you do at Armoire and also in the future of fashion more generally? Okay, well, I'm I'm under orders not to give too much away here. <laughs> well, I would say we already using it. I mean, we are not an ad or clickbait business. We don't make money because someone clicks like on a link that we've fooled them into clicking, right? Trustworthiness is kind of utterly critical to us. If we are, if you can want people to be subscribers and count on us, what we show, what we do has to be trustworthy. So um, that kind of anchors it. So really, we've, right now, we're thinking a lot about just assisted, ass, assistive con- assisting in useful data and content creation and surfacing. Okay. So one example would be, actually, I'll just, t- we ask every customer, actually, you're required as a customer to review every item you rented. Okay. And so, you know, that's people are editing these things on their phone. That's an example of where generative AI, like assisted writing, could help a lot, right? You kind of have some points. It can write a good review and good in that it's useful for other people. And then there's a secondary. So it's less time for you. It's a higher quality review. And the other benefit is that search is the counterpart and recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's the content is good and right, it's easier to make use of that to recommend this item better to Mm -hmm. the right people. So that that would be one classical example, um, classic example. Another one that we think about a lot is where we have manual effort and we're not trying to get rid of the people on our team, but we want to make good use of them. And there's, there are manual and error prone and inconsistent things that happen, right? Where technology, again, assist, can assist. Um, mm-hmm. On the styling front, yeah, that's we, would, we want styling definitely brought, I don't want to say to the masses, but to everyone. A really good stylist has a relationship with a person. I think the thing we're trying to figure out, a nut we're trying to figure out how to crack is novelty and compliments versus um the things we already know about you, because otherwise it, 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 it's not fresh anymore, right? We want to inspire mm-hmm. people. Maybe you didn't know, maybe you'd look great in a purple sequin shirt, even though, you know, you're a black shirt person or, or a Patagonia fleece person. And how do we, how can we do that in good way, good ways, keep it fresh, but maintain mm-hmm. that relationship and that history. So, and assist our, the people who do styling on our team, um, in addition um, to doing better suggestions for the customers. That makes sense. And I'll, I'll give the purple sequin shirt a try. You never know. Uh, it, could, it could be one of those things. Could work. Yeah, um, I mean, why not? You know, why not? Maybe you want fashion roulette today. You're like, I'm in the mood. Actually, Snowbirds brought this up. Like, what's your risk tolerance today? Like, mm-hmm. we're going to guarantee it's going to fit you and no one's going to laugh at you. And we also have community, which is another source of mm. um, suggestions. But like, why not? You're like, you yeah. know what? Maybe I want to be a different person today. Um, no, yeah. and I'm going to quote uh, Ambika, our CEO here. She has uh, been uh, uh, sort of saying this quite a bit more now. Uh, it's a micro risk. How do we help our customers um, 
make some of these micro risk decisions and still feel confident and uh, feel stylish and uh, and maybe expand out of their current comfort zone. So, hmm. yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, my final question is a very short one. Um, what do you think the near-term future looks like for Armoire as you st- start to scale even further? I know you've, you've said scale up. I know scale up implies further, further growth. Um, how are you planning to keep that balance between personal touch and scale you know candidly that's something that we've struggled with a little bit being pulled between wanting to do more and be more without losing our focus you know um how are you tackling that and what are you planning to build on top of armoire as we see it right now well i think generative ai can also help on that front right with personalization tone i mean there's all we could even talk to you in the long run in language you understand like your idea of fancy might be very different than someone else's. But then I think, so that just to kind of close on the um, AI topic, I think the rest, I don't know, hand it over to Shafali, bring us home. Yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I think, you know, we're, uh, we are, are, are lucky that, you know, we actually had a, a little bit of, quote unquote, downtime in the pandemic. And we had um, a a moment to breathe uh, after our hyper growth period and then the pandemic hit. And we we got a chance to install our RFIDs in all of our garments. We got a chance to um, really uh, reimagine a lot of our processes. And um, it's it's really set us up uh, well now that we're in hyper growth again, we, it doesn't feel as hectic as it did three years ago when we were growing at the same speed. Um, and uh, I think now we just have to continue to leverage our, our uh, technology and process improvements and um, uh, stay, I think, you know, uh, what what's really helpful is that all of our operations are in-house. We don't have uh, like an outsourced um, member experience team. We don't have our outsourced operations team. We're all able to very quickly, and uh, like we said before, kind of in real time, talk to each other to service the customer as best as possible. And it's um, it, it it makes it it makes it easier to. To, to scale when we can all talk to each other um, uh, in, a, in a really easy way. Perfect. Well, that brings us to the end. So um, I, I wish you folks the best of luck with everything that you're doing and with with that next um, kind of level of scale. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's one that gives you a bit more chance to breathe again and then you get a bit of rest and get a bit of sleep. That'd be nice from my perspective sometimes as well. Um, but for, yeah, for now, um, Sonova, Laura, uh, and Shafali, it's uh, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. And uh, hey, maybe we'll re- revisit this in a year or two and see. How how things have gone. Super. Awesome. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you.